So this is the last Sunday of the church year. This is called Christ the King Sunday. Next Sunday we start all over uh, with the first Sunday of Advent. So this really is the threshold of Advent. I wanted to start uh, an Advent sermon series today and look with uh, that with you for this week and the next four Sundays. We've spent the fall looking at King David of Israel and now we should start looking at the one who was known many times as the son of David, several generations removed. This is a poem from the prophet Isaiah, which the Christian church has taken as a prediction of the baby born at Bethlehem. The choir will sing it for us. One of the titles Isaiah appends to the description of the Messiah is Wonderful Counselor, and this passage from the letter to the Hebrews explains why Jesus' counsel is wonderful indeed. Chapter 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For that high priest is able to deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Please pray with me. <clears throat> May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> so Isaiah was Israel's poet laureate in the second half of the 8th century B.C., around 700 years before Jesus. Jerusalem, the capital city of a nation about the size of Vermont, was severely threatened by a larger power in the north, Assyria, which is from what is now Iraq, an Egypt-sized nation, on the prowl for smaller, weaker nations to blast into oblivion. So the barbarians are at the gate. Leadership in Jerusalem has been slipshod and incompetent and profane for generations, and hope is almost God. And then against all this political chaos churning outside the city gates, Isaiah pens this paltry little poem about a child being bored who will lead them out of darkness into God's marvelous light. For every boot of the tramping warrior and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And as it turns out, Isaiah's prediction is accurate. Good King Hezekiah is born, turns out to possess the wily wherewithal, to hold off the barbarians for years and years. And Jerusalem lives in peace for another 100 years until a new threat arises in Babylon and the people are carted off to captivity in around 586 B.C. And the remarkable thing about Isaiah's ancient poem is that the Christian church gave it legs and allowed it to become one of the most beloved passages in all of Scripture for 3,000 years. It was originally penned, of course, to celebrate the birth of an ancient Jewish king, a son of David. But the church took that poem and believed that it predicted the birth of that baby at Bethlehem, another son of, son of David, 40 generations removed. 
And of course, Georg Friedrich Handel was partly responsible for the fame of this poem when he put those immortal words to his immortal music from Messiah. Isaiah gives the Savior these lofty titles. Wonderful counselor today. Now, when Isaiah used that extravagant and complimentary title, he was predicting the birth of good and crafty King Hezekiah, whose shrewd diplomatic strategy staved off the barbarians at the gate and allowed Israel to live in peace, at least for a while. He was the ancient equivalent of a Disraeli or a Churchill or a Kissinger, shrewd in his counseling in the political arena. But when the Christians approached the same poem and appended that title to Jesus, they were thinking of it in an entirely different way. Jesus' counsel is wonderful not because he's strong and shrewd, but because he is the splendid pioneer who goes before us. Jesus is well acquainted with our our vulnerability, and therefore he is of help to us. He understands what it's like to be human. In Jesus Christ goes the Christian story. The creator of all the burning suns and rolling spheres came as close as a human infant, a refugee in a hovel, shivering against the cold with nothing to his name but the rags on his body and the milk in his mother's breast. And I love the way the letter to the Hebrews describes the wonder of Jesus' counsel. For we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. And I see Emily Dickinson's marvelous little poem as a paraphrase of the letter to the Hebrews. Unto a broken heart no other one may go, without the high prerogative itself hath suffered too. Yes? Unto a broken heart no other one may go, without the high prerogative itself hath suffered too. And what Ms. Dickinson and the author of the letter to the Hebrews are saying is this, what counselor could possibly be wonderful who does not understand what it's like to be human with all the failures and foibles and vulnerabilities? It's not shrewdness and strength, but weakness and suffering which are at the core of our humanity. Would you ever want to go to a doctor who doesn't know what it's like to feel pain? I once went to a dentist who insisted on drilling my tooth without Novocaine. I did not go back. (laughs) Now, thankfully, I'm married to a dental hygienist and my dental care is better. I like to get acquainted with her boss because then uh, he takes better care of me. Would you want a teacher who never struggled in her own childhood with the wilderness of words or the labyrinth of numbers would you want a father who never understood what it was like to be young and new and lost in this confusing world have i shared with you before gary will's perspective on the presidency of franklin delano roosevelt in his book certain trumpets mr wills claims that it was precisely president roosevelt's acquaintance with pain that made him perhaps the greatest american president of the 20th century He says that Mr. Roosevelt might have become president without that bout with polio in 1921, but without that bout with polio, he would have been ill-equipped to lead a nation, which was almost literally crippled itself on crutches because of the Great Depression. Before he suffered polio, 
Mr. Roosevelt was, says Gary Wills, a genial but lightweight gladhander, cushioned in astonishing privilege and too eager to please. He was, says Mr. Wills, a dithery birdie wooster in a straw hat. Alice, his own cousin, called him a sissy and a mama's boy. And then his legs just began to wither away underneath him, and he became a whole new human being, above the waist, strong here with his broken heart. And you know how he hated to be photographed in that wheelchair when he was in public appearances. He always dragged himself out of that chair and leaned on his crutches and braces when he approached those microphones to to speak to the American public. It was a show of strength, an appearance of force. But whenever he visited crippled World War II soldiers in hospitals, he would always go in his wheelchair and wheel himself from bed to bed. One time he approached a U.S. soldier who had amputated his own leg to free himself from the wreckage he was trapped in, and President Roosevelt said, I understand you are something of a surgeon. I'm not a bad orthopedist myself. Mr. Will says it was legs speaking to legs. And when a crippled nation saw him drag himself out of that chair, they imitated him and dragged themselves out of the crippling bout of the Great Depression. His strength was made, maybe not perfect in weakness, but useful and helpful in weakness. I told you last week about the German theologian Jürgen Moltmann, who is one of our very finest Christian thinkers just now. Dr. Moltmann never attended church in his youth and never heard a sermon before he was 20 years of age. He came of age during Hitler's Germany and served in the German military during World War II. He was an anti-aircraft gunner in Hamburg and he remembers serving there when the Royal Air Force unleashed a firestorm called Operation Gomorrah. How appropriate is that? Which destroyed the eastern half of the city. And he says that uh, the friend standing next to him at the gunnery was torn to pieces by a bomb that left him unscathed. And for the first time, he broke into prayer. He said, my God, where are you? After the war, Dr. Moltmann spent five years in a prisoner of war camp in Scotland. Germany was in ruins. He spent many sleepless nights remembering the sightless faces and the burned out tanks that he'd confronted for all the years of the war. And then he says the worst of all. They posted photographs of Auschwitz on the walls of the huts where the German prisoners of war were staying. And some of those German soldiers were so appalled they refused to go back to their fatherland and stayed in England instead. Moltmann himself decided that it was his duty to return to this this complicated land, this land of contradictions, this land somewhere between Goethe's Weimar and Hitler's Buchenwald. And the turning point came when the chaplains in the Scottish army gave him a Bible. And he really wasn't much interested in that Bible. He says he'd rather have a few cigarettes instead. But he began to page through the Gospels disinterestedly until he came upon the story of the passion of Jesus. And it came upon Jesus' death cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he says, I knew then with certainty, this is someone who understands you. 
I began to understand the assailed Christ because I felt that he could understand me. This was the divine brother in distress who takes the prisoners with him on the way to resurrection. And it was at that moment that he devoted himself to a lifetime of studying God's word. And he is probably today one of our two greatest living theologians. I knew with certainty, here is someone who understands you. For him, Jesus, is that wonderful counselor promised in Isaiah because of his weakness and defeat and vulnerabilities, not despite them. One woman tells of the time she was going through a very difficult stage in her life and her husband touched the wet place on her face where the tears were falling down and then touched the wet finger to his own face as if to say, your tears are mine. The ache inside your heart belongs to me too. I share your wounded place. And so I invite you to seek his wonderful counselor, this man of sorrows acquainted with grief, this high priest who is able to deal gently with the wayward because he himself is beset with weakness, this Jesus of the broken heart, this Jesus who came down to a manger and went up to a cross, who turned water into wine and common fisher folk into brave heroes, who made lame beggars walk and blind men see and embraced all the lost and the lonely into his love, who faced down the ugly specter of hideous death and never turned aside, this one who will take the prisoners with him on the way to resurrection. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.